Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. We're glad you found us. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us at cbctherim.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Uh, Well, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and meet me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And as you turn there, um, I've shared this many times before, but I absolutely love everything about this season. And this is the time of year where you kind of go into uh, what used to be called the VHS closet or now DVDs. And even that's kind of a prehistoric thing. It's all on Disney+. Plus. Uh, But you start pulling out all the old Christmas movies that really kind of hibernate uh, for the other 11 months of the year, but now it's okay for you to start watching them. And so, and I know many of you, you have favorite Christmas movies. There's movies that that you can't get through the season if you don't watch. So just for fun, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little exercise. I'm going to give you just a few seconds, and I want you to talk amongst yourselves, and I want you to answer the question, what are those, that one or two movies, Christmas movies, that if you don't watch before the end of the Christmas season, something's wrong. Go. Perfect. If you would, okay, just, I'm just curious. Yell just a few of them out that you heard. Home Alone. Okay, there's a great debate of which is the best Home Alone. Uh, I lean towards number two. My wife is number three, which I think is garbage. So, uh, Elf, I heard Elf. Anything else? Uh, Christmas Vacation, family favorite, uh, Wonderful Life. What was it? Christmas Story. Yes, timeless, timeless. Well, for us, uh, it's... uh, I mean, growing up, my parents introduced us to It's a Wonderful Life, and I remember as a kid, you watch this black and white movie, and you think, oh, this is going to be so boring, and then by the end of it, as a 10-year-old, you're weeping. Uh, We love Home Alone 2, Elf, for whatever reason, somehow, uh, the movie Family Stone, I think my wife kind of brought that into just a family tradition, that'll probably be what we watch tonight to kind of get ready for the holidays, but the reason that I share this is... We pull out these movies and uh, we flip through the channels and we find them and we watch them uh, not because we're sitting on the edge of our seat in suspense wondering what's going to happen. Like we already know, we've seen them hundreds of times. But we watch these movies because uh, one, we know them, we've learned them, and along the way we love them and we begin to love them. And the reason I share this tonight is we're going to look at a very, very familiar passage. We look at the Christmas story. And in a lot of ways, I think it's become so familiar to us that we've learned it. We know it well. And I think we love it. But I don't think that's where it's supposed to be left off. Not just to learn it and to love it, but actually this is a story that we're invited into and we're actually called to live it out. And so that's my fear is that we would miss it tonight. And the question that I want to answer in the text is, what does it look like to genuinely follow Jesus? To genuinely follow Jesus. Because the truth is, to follow Jesus is actually a difficult thing. Like Christianity is this weird combo of the most joyful life that we can experience while also being one of the most difficult things that we can walk through. Like if you think about it, just the words of Jesus. In John 10.10, he would say this, that I have come to give you life and to give it to the fullest or to give it a life more abundantly. Psalm 16.11 would say this, that the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. That if you want to, 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 I guess, experience what maxed out joy feels like, that's found only in the presence of God. Or Psalm 84 would tell us this, that better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand days doing anything else. Like that's, that's a big promise that you and I, that the fulfillment of our joy is found in the presence of God. But yet there's also verses like Matthew 16 
Or that Jesus would tell us that we're called to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. And, and I don't know what kind of imagery that that puts into your mind. But the cross is a symbol of horrific death. It's not a pleasant one. And it meant a lot to first century Jews. Like it was a, a symbol of death. I mean, this is the equivalent of going over to a neighbor's house this week for dinner, and they're showing you around, and they take you upstairs, you go to the nursery, and above the, the baby's bed, there's a hangman's noose hanging over the crib. You're like, well, that's a little creepy. Uh, maybe there's a ficus plant or something that was in there, and it fell out. That's, okay, weird. You go downstairs, and in the kitchen... There's a bronze molding of an electric chair. Over the fireplace, there's a picture of a firing squad. And all of a sudden, you see on the coffee table two marble lethal injection needles. All of a sudden, you start going, hey, change of plans. We're not eating dinner here. And we're sure as heck not sending our kids for a play date over to this house. Because it's weird. Because we see those symbols as symbols of death, but for us, we lose a little bit of it. Because when we see the cross, many of us, we get cute tattoos. Or maybe we wear them around our necks with diamonds or gold. And for that, that would have been a very strange thing for first century Jews. And sometimes we miss out on this. The symbol of our faith is that of an execution. Like 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would tell us this. He says, hey, listen. If the resurrection of Jesus doesn't happen, like if that's not real, then, then I'm to be pitied above every human on planet Earth. Like he's not like, hey, it's still a pretty good life. No, he's saying, hey, if this is a hoax, if this is a delusion, then hey, listen, then all of us, every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus, like, like we're to be pitied. We're pathetic if that's the case. And so for many of us, and the reason, I guess, we, we miss that because it's become so familiar to us. But the reason that we're called, and we, they would, that Paul would say that we're pitied, is because the centerpiece of our faith is a cross, and our lives have been characterized by a symbol of suffering, sacrifice, and persecution. This is the story that you and I have been invited into. So if you're like me right now, you're going, hold up. Time out, Drew, it is December 22nd. We came here to get the cute Christmas message, and all of a sudden now you're talking about execution. Well, here's, here's ultimately my fear. I think that many of us will miss out on what God is calling us to and wants us to experience, one, because we have not counted the cost of genuinely following Jesus, or we don't actually know of whether or not he's worth it. And so tonight, here's my hope. With the Christmas story, this is an upside-down Christmas story, I want to push us a little bit. Now, there are, there are two responses to being pushed. For some of us, We'll lean into that and we'll actually take a step into intimacy and a step further in walking with Jesus. And that's my hope and that's my prayer. But the negative side is when being pushed, we have also, some of us have a tendency to kind of bow up a little bit and to push back, to get frustrated and maybe even want to fight me. Okay? We will hope that that's not the response tonight. But I am going to give us a little bit of a nudge if that's okay with you. And so I, I, and I do it all out of love. So, upside down Christmas, that's where we're going. Matthew chapter one, that's what we're gonna see. This upside down Christmas that invites us into so much more. And in the very first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew is going to show you and I right out of the gate how difficult it is to follow Jesus and how Jesus' first followers actually find the motivation to follow him. Now, when I, if I were just out of curiosity ask you who you think of when you think of the first followers of Jesus, many of us might think of Peter, James, John, Andrew. 
But we might miss out on the two first followers of Jesus were two teenagers from Galilee named Mary and Joseph. And so let's look at a little bit of their story here. In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, first off, let's pause here. Let's take a look at this idea of being betrothed or betrothed, okay? It was a Jewish custom called Kedeshin. And a young man and his fiance would get legally married, but they had to wait an entire year before they could live together or have sex, okay? Which I think is one of the dumbest traditions ever, okay? My personal opinion. But one of the reasons that they did this was to make sure that the young girl was pure. Because in this day and age, uh, marriages were all arranged, okay? Which I don't think is too bad of a tradition. I'm actually petitioning to bring that one back. I think it's legit. <laughs> but you would choose a wife for your son. You would then pay a huge bride price called an endowment to the bride's family. And this part I also think is pretty awesome, especially now that I have a daughter. I think we should bring the endowment back as well. So the parents, paying the price, wanted to make sure that the girl was pure. So they would require them to get legally married but not live together or sleep together for an entire year to make sure that she was pure and not like pre-pregnant or whatever. Okay, you tracking? I don't want to go into that too much. And so after a year, she's clear so then they could live together and have sex. And every other way, during the betrothal, like you were considered married. And to get out of it, you actually had to get an official divorce. A lot of times we think about this just as simple as like just it's an engagement. No, they were fully committed to be married. And during this period, Mary shows up pregnant. And I want you just to imagine for a minute how Joseph feels. And how he would respond. Like what would it be like to hear the news from the girl that you're married to. That you have not slept with. That she's pregnant. Like obviously he doesn't believe her. He's like uh, oh yeah yeah uh huh. Mm, tell me about it. The Holy Spirit did this. Uh huh. And did he give you a pet unicorn as well? Like I mean this, this sounds far fetched. We hear it. And because we're familiar to it, we can kind of miss, like this would have been really crazy for him. And Joseph, man, for whatever reason, he's a really good guy. He's kind. And he arranges to break off the marriage to get a divorce quietly so not to shame her. And here's why that's important. Because in this day and age, a woman that committed adultery, and this would have been considered that, could legally have been stoned to death. So he's going, hey, listen, I don't, heartbroken, overwhelmed, feeling totally betrayed. He goes, I'm going to try to like slide out of this thing so that you can live. And then the scripture goes on to say this in verse 20. But as he, talking about Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not or didn't sleep with her until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Do you ever wonder why God did it this way? I mean, he totally ruins both of their reputations. Like the angel doesn't 
follow them and go around explaining to everyone else like that this is from the Holy Spirit. They don't send out a news bulletin or a mass email or post it on social media. Everyone at this point, when they thought of Mary, they would have thought as a, of an impure girl. And when they scroll through her Instagram pictures, there's this part that's like, man, what, what happened to Mary? Like we, we had no idea that she had such a dark side. And, and, and as far as we know, listen, it's not for another 30 or 40 years until the New Testament's written that any of this gets cleared out. And by then, it's way too late. So when Joseph marries her, it's like confessing that the baby's actually his. Hashtag shady. Or... As we see oftentimes in Scripture, the Pharisees would refer to Jesus as an illegitimate son. They would actually use a little bit stronger language, but because we have younger kids in the room, I'm not going to say it. But this pregnancy both, I mean, it ruined both their reputations in the community. And Mary doesn't get the storybook wedding that she's always dreamed about with her dad walking her down the aisle with her friends and family present. Because I know, listen, for many women, like your wedding day is the most highly anticipated and the most expensive day of your life. And just because Mary was born 2,000 years ago, don't assume that she's vastly different. Like her dreams for her own beautiful wedding day were shattered, ruined, not by an angry mother-in-law, but by Jesus himself. Not only that, like eventually they'd have to leave their homeland because of Jesus. Is this the abundant life? Is, is this what we expected it to be? Is this what we anticipated? Why does God do it this way? I think the Holy Spirit is laying out a pattern from Jesus' birth for how people will follow him from that day forward. So tonight... I want to give us three elements that we see in Joseph's life about following Jesus. And then I want to show you where Joseph got the strength to do them. Okay? And I believe this, that Joseph is not just an inspiring figure from the past. But he's actually a compelling example for us today. So, here's what I want to answer. First question is, what does following Jesus actually mean? look like? What does it actually look like? And I see three elements in the text. The first one is this, trust and radical obedience. Trust and radical obedience. Joseph had to believe the impossible and then risk everything to be obedient to what Jesus had asked him. I, I love the story, I many of you have heard it, of missionary Jim Elliott. And just this week, just in my own time with the Lord, the story got brought up, and I'm just kind of reading it about this, this young man who had a heart man, to reach um, this, this, this unreached people group in Ecuador. And uh, they had no way of like trying to tap into it. And so they began to just kind of try their best to drop food off. They're circling a plane, trying to build this relationship with the Waka Indians so they can ultimately get to share with them about the love of Jesus. And over several months of building this relationship, they would set up camp uh, nearby. And one of these men would step from the village, would come and then kind of build a relationship, go back to the village and lied about their motives for being there, which then a handful of their warriors would go and would stab them all to death. Now, here's what's crazy about this story. And I think the reason it just hit me so hard is that Jim Elliott is in this, when he died, was eight years younger than I am. He had been married for two years and had an 11-month-old baby girl. Our daughter is 11 months old. And just begin to just process, like, what in the world like what would, would drive a man to be willing to give his life knowing that these were hostile men, people, that there was a good chance that he was going to die? Like that what, what would, what would like push and motivate a young man to do that? 
Well, here's the deal. It's not because Jesus was a preference. That's not why he did it, because he checked the box and said, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that, that Jesus is probably the most, I mean, the best option of following in the religious circle. No, he believed that Jesus rose from the grave and he's actually worth it. What's, what's more than that, the story goes on that Jim Elliott's wife would continue to love the Waka Indians and ultimately she would get to lead the man who killed her husband to the Lord. Like, that's crazy. And, and you don't do that because Jesus is a preference or fits nicely into your schedule or just something that you do, but it's because you believe that he's actually worth it. That's a huge sacrifice. And I, I love that many of you in this room, that you have made huge sacrifices to go all in with the kingdom of God, even to be a part of CBC The Rim. And the only reason I believe that you do something like that is because you believe that Jesus is precious, his promises are true, and his kingdom is eternal. In fact, church, if we struggled to really live out this trust and radical obedience, I believe the reason is is because we lack confidence in the promises of an unseen God. And following Jesus, really following him, not just playing religious games, means absolute trust in an unseen God. The second thing that we see here in the text is there's a willingness to die to self. Once again, this is not your normal Christmas message. Willingness to die to self. Mary, out of wedlock pregnancy, puts a literal death sentence on her life in the Jewish law. And beyond that, Mary and Joseph had to die to their good name, their cherished dreams, their families, their homelands. That God may send some of you overseas to go on mission. And your family will not understand. Some of you may be sent out of this church to plant other churches, to raise support, and the people in your life are going to tell you that you're crazy and foolish, and you're going to have to choose. Do I obey God, or do I please them? And it's going to feel like a death. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, spent many years in prison preaching the gospel in his own country. And this was just a quote I think is amazing about his life. He said this, he penned this, the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling the flesh from my bones. I have often brought to my mind the many hardships, misery, and wants that my poor family has had to meet with especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Then he said this, if ever I would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can properly be called a thing of this life, even to reckon myself, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyments, and all as dead to me and myself as dead to them. Sound harsh? Like that's super intense. But it echoes the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 14, where he would say this, if anyone comes to me, if anyone wants to follow me and doesn't hate your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Listen, that's Jesus' words. That's not Drew's words. That's not John Bunyan's words. Those are Jesus' words. Hey, listen, if you're not willing to lose it all, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. Like those, are, those are intense words. Now, I want to be real clear. He's not talking about like literal hate or being delinquent as a father or a husband. Actually, listen, when you follow Jesus, it makes you a better husband and a better father. Why? Because now you have a love to, to, to model after that's way bigger than your own. But he's saying, hey, listen, to follow me, you've got to be willing 
to leave it all behind. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. These type of messages do not grow a church. No, it would have been much better for me tonight to get up here and just tell you what I think you want to hear. To maybe even lie to you and just go, hey, this is the easy message. Jesus doesn't want too much from you. Just let it like fit into your life if it works out well for you. But the truth is, if I did that, I would be lying to you. And it may cause you to miss out on what it actually means to experience and know and love the God of the universe. Following Jesus is a denial of self. Let me just break it down really practical. Verse 25 tells us that Joseph didn't know Mary, or it means have sex with her, until after the birth of Jesus. Not only did he have to wait a year in this engagement patrol-like process, he had to wait another year to have sex with his wife. That's significant, and here's why. Because following Jesus means denying yourself of some things that you otherwise enjoy or really, really want. And I know, listen, I I know many singles, I know some of you in this room tonight, that you're not willing to wait to have sex before you're married or uh, wait until after you're married. And Joseph was married and he still waited because it was the will of God. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to consent to do things his way, even if it means denying yourself some things that you might otherwise want or have. The third thing is this. It's a willingness to live inconvenienced. Like, do you realize how much Jesus' birth complicated Joseph's life? It makes it super complicated. Messed up his relationships with his family, his friends, his job. And eventually he had to move and start completely over. Serving Jesus, hear me, is rarely convenient. And I know many people in the church, well, not this one, other ones, uh, who don't serve because the reasoning is it's just not convenient. It doesn't work well for me. And I'm so grateful that so many of you serve our community, not because it's convenient, because you are committed to Jesus. But many of you, you show up five hours early on your one day off to help us set all of this up. Like none of this just happens by accident. All of these chairs are jam-packed in that lobby space, and they move it all out here. And they, and not, they don't do that because it's convenient or works well for their schedule. Or, or better yet, listen, we just got to celebrate yesterday the Christmas in the city. And here's what I love. Listen, over 100, over 100 gifts came from you guys in our church we rallied together and we pieced together and we came up with gifts from all ages. And then we took those gifts to a partner and they're hand delivering them into homes of refugees that will not experience Christmas. And the hopes is they're going to step into almost every one of Muslim families and getting to be able to share the love of Jesus over tea and over a meal. None of you did that because it was convenient or fit into your schedule. And listen, I I know not every ministry is for every person. It's not. But let me ask you this. Do you have a ministry or a way of serving that is inconvenient for you? Because if you don't, I would venture to say that there's a really good chance that you're not following Jesus. If there's nothing in your life that's sacrificial or inconvenient and Jesus has fit nicely into your schedule, into your life, there's a good chance it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And church, listen, I know that that is not, that's not real smooth. That's not going to get me more friends. 
And that's probably not going to build this room up. But church, it's real. And I, I, I would rather burst the illusion of you and I serving a fake Jesus that's leading us further and further away from the God of the universe and risk hurting our feelings a little bit in hopes that the smoke would clear and we'd actually get to see him for who he really is. I love you enough to do that. And so listen, whether it's adoption or fostering children or sharing the gospel, none of those things we do out of convenience. Or here, just real talk. Listen, if we're going to be a church that's racially diverse, that's not going to happen because of convenience. Like getting to know people who are not like you, who don't share all the same backgrounds, takes a lot of intentionality. It's not convenient. And if the defining characteristic that you are looking for in a church is convenience, this is probably not the church for you. Just to level with you. I don't want, you'll, you'll figure that out eventually. You might as well, let me tell you now, and save us both the heartache. To become the people of God that he wants us to be is going to take a willingness to live inconvenienced for the sake of the mission of God. And our priority is not our convenience, but the mission of God. Or here's another, listen, just, you know how inconvenient it is to take a stand on what the Bible actually teaches about sin and preaching hard things? It'd be so much easier to get up here and just go, hey, listen, you know, just you do you. Whatever fits into your personal preferences, that'll work. Like I, I run the risk of being misunderstood or y'all being upset or people leaving. It's not convenient. But the three things that we see in Joseph's life, the trust and the radical obedience, the willingness to die to self and the willingness to live inconvenience, like those are just all over his entire life. So where does the strength come from? How do we do these three things? How do we live like this? Well, I know that more than likely this wasn't just a one-time emotional surrender of Joseph. This was the beginning of a lifestyle. And if you and I, if we're going to follow in those steps, it is important that we have the right motivation. And motivation just comes from the same word as we get motor, the right engine. And if we have that in place, we'll make it. So the motivation helps you and I endure all types of sacrifice and pain. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you, just to give you an example, I'll get a couple of them. If you were to get on a plane tomorrow morning, and right before you get on the plane, I hand you a very heavy backpack. Say, carry this on. And let's just say you don't know the rules, so you take a bag from a stranger, and you walk onto a plane, and this bag is heavy. It's an inconvenience. It's like you barely can shove it underneath the, the seat in front of you. You have no leg room. This is just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, like super inconvenient. And the whole time you're frustrated, you're like, why did I take this? And you're just, and it's all you see is the sacrifice and the pain. But now, if I were to tell you that that plane is actually going to crash, and what you hold is a parachute, the sacrifice and the pain disappear and you will gladly cling tight to that parachute. We'll give you another example. If I were to tell some of you ladies that over the course of the next few months, you're going to gain 15 pounds. Your waist is gonna grow about six inches. Like no one's like, sign me up for that. But some of you, that's actually going to be your story because you're going to find out that you're pregnant and that there's a child growing inside of you. And listen, all the modifications or the adaptation that your body has to go through is completely worth it. When our motivation and we switch our view and see what the sacrifice and pain really is what it, versus what it's actually worth, it gives us the motivation to actually do this. So where does the strength from Jesus to follow Jesus actually come from? Well, there's two things in the text. I'll go ahead and give them to you real quick. First, it's a promise. The second, it's a name. We see the word here in verse 23. It says, behold. 
Beholded, the Greek, is an extremely like, strong word. It essentially means, like, look at this. Like, see here. Don't miss this. Because when you see this, you're going to have the strength to do what God is asking you to do. What's the angel tell him to look at? Verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this subpoint here is we need to remember the promise. That's a motivation, a kept promise. The short version of this is in Isaiah chapter 7, there's a prophecy that's given. And the prophecy is going to sound very familiar to you. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the word virgin in the Hebrew can mean one of two things. Let me give this to you quick. It can mean a woman who has not been with a man, or it can mean a woman of marriageable age. Okay? Now, when most people read this prophecy, that was what they assumed. It meant this second one. It was just a, a woman that could be married. There's a young woman. And so then it's like this prophecy is like not that big of a deal. Like the prophecy that the hero of the, of, of the world is going to come and rescue us and save us, he's going to be born of a young woman? Like that's not a big deal. That's like saying the prophecy will be fulfilled when it's hot in San Antonio in July. You're like, yeah, that's how it works. So for 700 years, this prophecy is just a giant mystery until... The angel shows up and says to Joseph, this is actually what I'm talking about. It's not just that a young woman will conceive, but a virgin. The other meaning of that word, a girl who's never been with a man will conceive. And that is a little bit more impressive. And that is a miraculous birth. This miraculous birth will deliver Israel from all their fears and fulfill God's promise to Abraham. In that moment, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep all his promises that he had made. So listen, what we do in this is, is we have to cling to the truth that whatever it is that you and I are waiting for in this season, whatever it is that maybe we, God, I don't, I don't feel like you've come through the way I thought you would, or it hasn't been on my timing, that we cling to the promise that God always, he's always faithful to answer the exact, I mean, with his promise, with the yes, like he steps into that. And it, once again, it might not look the way we want it to look, but he always keeps his promises. And so we search the scriptures and we know, God, you draw near to us. And that some of us, listen, we doubt the existence of God just based upon that he hasn't done what we thought he would or what we wanted him to do. And we just think about this. Listen, if I asked Tilly, my daughter, to build a case that I exist based on the fact that I always do what she wants. Okay, now she's only 11 months, but here's the deal. I'm going to bet that it's going to be a pretty weak case. And she goes, I don't know if my dad exists, if that's what we have to base it on. And the reason is, is because I don't always do what Tilly wants. I do what's best for her. Why? Because I love her. And our trust in God should not be based on how well he has fulfilled our expectations, but based on his history of keeping promises. The second thing is this. We have to remember the name. I love this, that the baby here is given two names in the verse, Jesus and Emmanuel. And that always confused me because I, I, didn't, really, I didn't really grow up in church. And so it was kind of one of those things like, well, which one is actually his name? Is it like, hey, he introduces himself at parties. He's like, my name's Jesus, middle name's Christ, nickname's Emmanuel, you can call me Lord. Like, is that how this like, works? Like, no, no, it's not. Like, the first name that's given here of Jesus indicates what he does. The second, Emmanuel, who he was. Jesus means, in the Hebrew, it translates literally, God saves. God saves. Emmanuel means God with us. In those two names, Joseph got a picture of the glory of God. Now, the most foundational doctrine of Christianity is that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. The only 200% person that's ever walked on planet Earth. 
He's not 50-50. He's not half God. He's not Hercules. No, 100% God and 100% man. And that's really important, and here's why. Why it's important that Jesus was 100% man because he can relate to us, sympathize with us in our experiences, that he lived the life that you and I should have lived and then died the death that you and I deserved, that he's able to connect with us and understand us on every level, that that death that he died was our condemnation. He took our place on the cross, and he could only do that if he was fully man. And the second thing, it's important that he is fully God for two reasons. One, the only person capable of saving us is God himself. Is God himself. He did not contract salvation out to some lesser being. He came himself. And the second point is that the whole point in God's creation of us was to have a relationship with us. Have you thought about this? In, in, the, in the garden, God creates mankind, breathes life into him. Why? To walk with him. To, to know him intimately. All, the whole Old Testament can be summed up in those three words, God with us. That God wanted to be with Adam and Eve in the garden, the cool of the day. Three chapters into the whole thing, they screw it up. They go, God, thanks, but no thanks. But God is, is stays relentless and pursues his people. And so we see God with Abraham. God was with the Israelites, cloud by day, fire by night. God was with King David. God was with the prophets. And then all of a sudden, there's 400 years of silence. And a baby shows up on the scene named Emmanuel. God's with us. He's no longer distant. He's no longer silent. He's right here. You and I weren't created to serve a distant God watched over like a judge. That you and I were created to love a father and to walk with him like a friend. Do you know God that way? Because listen, seeing God as Jesus and Emmanuel gave Joseph the strength to follow Jesus. The secret is that everything that God is asking Joseph and Mary to do, that he'll end up doing in a much greater sense. Well, he tr- like be, he'll trust and have radical obedience to the Father to the point of death and death on a cross. Like, he, does he die to himself? Yes, to the point of death on a cross. Does he live inconvenienced at every level, but especially death on a cross? That he takes our sin, bore our shame, and destroyed every bit of it on the cross. This is the story. Essentially, Joseph is being invited to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And everything that Jesus experienced on earth, church, we have to be willing to experience if we were going to be his followers. And the only way to have the strength to do that is to see that Jesus did it for you, and now you can do it with him. And this is interesting. Matthew 28 is the last chapter of Matthew. And the very last verse, is, or the last few verses, are ultimately our commission as followers of Jesus to go into the world and to carry the good news. That's for every follower of Jesus. And the very last verse of Matthew ends with this. Behold. Take notice. Don't miss this. Behold. I am with you always. Behold. Emmanuel. I'm with you always. The way you and I are going to be all that God has called us to be, is to realize that Jesus really is a treasure and that whatever it cost you and I, he's absolutely worth it. Like I, I love, Jesus tells a story, Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God's a lot like this. He's like, it's a man walking through a field that's not his and he like stubs his toe. And he takes notice, he reaches down and kind of moves some of the dirt and what he sees is it's a treasure chest. 
and he opens up this treasure chest and there's a, like so much value, like way more than he's ever seen, touched, felt. Like he, he's like, oh my gosh, like there's so, like this treasure, it, 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 there's not even a value you can put on it. And so what he does is he kind of closes the treasure chest and kind of covers it up with dirt. And then he goes and he finds the guy who owns the field. He goes, hey, listen, I want to buy your field. Like just like this shady character. I want to buy this field. The guy's like, well, why would you want to buy this field? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I just like the trees and the river. It's cute. It reminds me of home. And the guy's like, well, it's kind of always been in my family. And so then he names this like crazy high price. And before it even comes out of his mouth, he's like, sold. I want to, I want to buy it. And the scripture says that he leaves and he goes and he liquidates everything that he has. All of his assets, like all of his stocks. He pulls everything out of savings and he sells every bit of it. Why? Because the treasure that he's gaining in this field is infinitely more valuable. So Jesus is painting this picture to you and I. That whatever it costs you. Whatever you've got to sell. Whatever it takes to well, you have to sacrifice to follow me. And the treasure's worth it. Like Jesus is communicating, I'm, I'm worth it. And if you, if you don't believe that, if, if you're uncertain of that, all, all it means is that you haven't yet met Jesus. That you haven't yet experienced him or come face to face with him. Maybe you've come face to face with something like him. But he will always be worth it. That he is a treasure that's worth pursuing with everything that we've got. And listen, if you don't yet believe that, you don't have to try to come up with more like self-discipline. You just need a deeper joy. You just need to experience more joy in and through him. Because that's what allows us to walk through the pain and the sacrifice we don't know much more about Joseph after this. This is the last time he appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And by the time Jesus is an adult, he's no longer around, which means more than likely he, he passed away. But he's passed on to you and I a legacy of how we can gain the strength to follow Jesus. So tonight, one last question. What would have happened if Joseph had not chosen this route? Like if he had chosen the easy way out, not believe the angel, divorce Mary, cast her aside, married a different girl. Well, guess what? Like, like he might have gotten the storybook wedding and he might have had a nice little carpentry business, had a pretty comfortable life, but he would have completely missed out Jesus. Guess what happens if you and I choose the easy life? And we can choose not to sacrifice and you and I, we may gain the life that we're going for or even dreaming about, but we just may miss out on Jesus and the plan that he has for you and I. Joseph's life tells you and I that it's worth it, that God keeps his promises. Jesus is worth the pain and the shame, and he's worth the shattered dreams and even death if it comes church tonight. The story of Christmas, the story that Joseph is modeling for you and I, is that whatever it costs, and it costs greatly, it costs us everything, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And tonight, listen, if you don't know him, we would love nothing more than to introduce you to him. Jesus risked it all by coming to planet Earth to rescue and redeem you and I. This is not some philosophy or religion or box that we just check off. Like we, like we believe this. And I don't know if you know this, like all world religions communicate the, fundamentally the same thing. There's a mountain. God's here. You and I here. 
And somehow, some way, you and I have to try to work our way up the mountain to get to God. You can call it morality, you can call it religion, you can call it enlightenment, you can call it whatever you want. But that, that's all world religions boiled into one thing. If you get to God or nirvana or heaven or whatever it is, Christianity, this is where it breaks off. And it communicates that God is at the mountaintop, you and I are at the bottom, and no matter how hard you try to get from here to here, you and I fail every time. Three steps up, two steps back. And praise be to God that he was willing to leave the mountaintop and come to us, Emmanuel, God with us, that he came to us to show us a better way of life, to rescue and redeem us so the relationship with the God of the universe could be restored. Church, during this Christmas season, may we not miss that. I wanna pray and then we're gonna worship. Jesus, tonight, I know that this is a heavy message. And this isn't the feel-good, fluffy Christmas message that many of us are used to. But God, my heart breaks for a culture, for a people group that for so long have just played the game of Christianity and have been around you and experienced parts of you, but haven't really seen you to be the treasure that you are, that haven't really seen that you're worth risking everything to pursue you, Jesus. So God, I, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to open our eyes. I'm begging you to show us how beautiful and how value, valuable you are in this season. May we not miss it, Father. And God, I'm willing to risk numbers. I'm willing to risk reputation in hopes that we might see you. God, we love you. We need you desperately tonight. So we worship you. Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. If you like the message, then check us out at cbctherim.com. There you can learn more about our gathering times, upcoming events, or how to get more involved. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBC The Rim. Thanks for listening.